Reed, have you heard that there is a movie in development about the Rubik's Cube? There's a movie about the Rubik's Cube. It's kind of lifting on the shoulders of the Queen's Gambit, which kind of popularized chess. So they decided they're going to pull out old games that we all know and make movies about them. So next will be like uh, Hungry Hippo or maybe Kerplunk. What about Shoots and Ladders? I feel like we've already made a movie about life and Clue. What about we make one about the two nails that are just bent and hooked together that you have to get apart? Welcome to Touchpoint, a podcast dedicated to discussions on digital marketing and patient engagement strategies for hospitals, health systems, and physician practices. In this podcast, we'll dive deep into digital tools, solutions, and strategies that are impacting our industry today. We hope to share a lot of great information with you and have fun along the way. Thanks for joining us. Now, here are your hosts. Welcome to episode 208 of Touchpoint. I'm Reed Smith. That is Chris Boyer. Hey, Reed. I'm over here playing Rochambeau with my hands here right now. (laughs) Against myself, I suppose. Yeah, a little rock, paper, scissors. I keep losing. I don't know why. (laughs) Uh, Well, thanks, everybody, for tuning in for another uh, weekly episode of Touchpoint. We certainly appreciate the support. And for those that listen to the show and subscribe to the show, you'll know also on Fridays, the TPS5 comes out on this channel. And so appreciate each and every one of you listening, supporting not only our show, but the whole network. You may be asking yourself, what network? Well, good news. Go over to touchpoint.health. That's the website where you can find out more about this show and all the other shows on the network that I just mentioned. You can find things like Data Point, the exam room, some of the newer shows, Uh, like The Morning Fix, Healthcare Insights by our friends over at True North, all kinds of fun stuff. The Connected Hospital, Intersection, really, really great things. Go check it out. You can also sign up for our weekly email called the TPS Report. comes out every Monday. Five articles aggregated by the show host. It's a quick read, very valuable in the inbox every Monday morning. We promise not to spam you with a whole bunch of stuff. And it's a great way to uh, just get a little flavor of what's happening around the industry. We'll pause for a second, let you go check out the website and be back with today's show. Chris, in today's digital age, your online reputation, as we all know, is crucial. With customers relying on online reviews, your first impression is also compared directly with your competitors. Sure is. And Reed, consider this. 86% of patients today read online reviews and 73% demand that that healthcare provider has a minimum four-star rating. Demand. They demand it. Yeah, they do. Well, to stand out, choose reputation to help amplify your brand and to build trust. Be the provider of choice in your area, understand patient sentiment, get actionable insights, and even foster patient loyalty. And look, here's the easy way you could do that. All you need to do is go visit reputation.com slash touchpoint. That's reputation.com slash touchpoint, where you can download their healthcare online reputation management guide and build a reputation that performs for you.
Many hospitals right now, Reed, are working on doing vaccine communications and thinking about different ways that they could use these digital touch points to kind of reach out and engage with people, which made me start to think about over the last couple of weeks, this whole concept of digital front door. Now, we've talked about that a couple of times on the show before, haven't we? Yes, we have. We've talked about the digital front door, the new digital front door. We've probably even talked about the newer digital front door <laughs> or the newest or the most new digital front door at some point. The concept of digital front door is, is, as we talked about before, is like a common in our lexicon as digital marketers here. But I think the concept is also evolving and ever changing. And so much like other things that when we, we talk about, you know, different types of marketing strategy or patient engagement strategies, digital front door strategies are one that we should come back to on a quite a regular basis. And so that's what today we're going to be talking about. And as you would imagine, uh, it's not a hard stretch, a big stretch to think how this might have changed over the last year. I mean, with the introduction of things like telehealth and all the various different digital touch points now, and the fact that we've advanced our consumers, our patients that are potentially using these touch points to become much more digitally savvy. And, you know, it's no wonder that this concept is expanding. It's no wonder everything has kind of shifted. So why don't we talk a little bit about what, how we see some of those changes happening. The first article that we're going to kind of use as a reference point for our conversation comes to us off of HIT Consultant and you know how much we'd love to read that website. It's actually an article that they call The Digital Front Door is a Gateway to Empathetic Patient Navigation. I like that, that empathetic not concept. Obviously, they, they talk a lot, they, they, they cover several things. But when you think about the empathy piece of this, I think that's really important because we talk about that in half for years as it relates to like in-person patient navigation. I mean, that's the whole thing about conveying empathy and understanding of why they're there, people there in a very vulnerable, uh, critical time uh, in their lives. Even in a positive standpoint, you're there to have a baby. Maybe it's your first child. There's a lot of nerves, nervousness, that kind of thing. And so they go in, they talk a little bit about you know what we've been going through over the last year, this global health crisis and the barriers and obstacles to care and how that can be detrimental and, and really even isolating. They talk about loneliness and, and could be fatal to some people. And so it's impending that we really think about how we define what a patient journey is anymore. Uh, because again, talking about telehealth, it's changed quite a bit, right? Not that telehealth is new, but obviously, again, as we've talked about at nauseum, people were kind of forced into that track. So the journey has changed for a lot. And the other things that we've talked about, too, is fair access and, you know, equality and health equity and knowing that there's a whole set of new types of people that are coming on to potentially our digital platforms to start to engage with us. We have to keep that in mind. And that's, again, coming back to that concept of empathy, understanding where they are at so that we could develop these systems and and design them in such a way that, that, that actually meets them where they're at. So in this article, the author, he starts off by saying that we have pitfalls in our system already, right? The healthcare system is very complex normally. Isn't that true? Is it? Is it complex? I wasn't <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, it, it is. It is. And they talk a lot about, you know, these pitfalls uh, in today's systems. And, and, and one being that 
even if you know what you're doing, you can work in healthcare even. They talk about it, you know, people being the most uh, health literate. It's still overwhelming. I work in healthcare technically, but it's still overwhelming. I have family members that are nurses, for example, or work in the healthcare system. Still overwhelming when you have like a family member go in or something like that. Yeah. And if you have now telemedicine as another option, you're like, should I try to make an appointment at my doctor's office? Should I use telemedicine instead? Should I go to the urgent care center? You have all of these different options now. And and then, you know, if we get into more of a complex care pathway, for example, mm. navigating that becomes very complicated. And, you know, inevitably, there's also like, well, we, you need to get a COVID test before you come in for this procedure. The journey becomes that much more complex. And then the industry is changing too, right? Where do you even go? We've got like non-traditional providers now. So when you go see a primary care, do you need a primary care physician anymore? Good question. <laughs> I mean, that's what's interesting, right? About a lot of this is there's just, again, back. it's just overwhelming. So you could go primary care, you can go urgent care, you can go to the ER, you can go to a freestanding ER. Like, like who knows, right? And then with the disruption of just these non- common, you know, people that were, were not used to being in the space. And, and we've all, you know, we've heard of like Walmart, for example, and the CVS and Walgreens, even though they've technically kind of been in the space, they're, you know, they're becoming providers in a, in a different way. Not to mention that there's organizations that are still merging or these partnerships that are forming. And I remember even talking with my doctor about where to get the vaccine. And she says, well, you might just want to go get it at Walgreens. And I thought, that's interesting. My primary care provider is sending me to, you know, something that's not even connected to their care. So there's a lot of, I guess, fungibility. Is that a fun word to say? You know, a lot of like opportunity for people that are interacting with us and others on a digital footprint to go to many different places. And, you know, it's only been reinforced by uh, the, the pandemic itself. I mean, that's a, that's a real concern, right? For anyone on the provider side, this has been a real uh, drain on, on most systems. And we've seen it with early on with, you know, the struggle to get PPE, for example, burnout amongst staff during some of these peak or swells, if you will. How do we continue to operate the way we have and avoid a lot of this? We could start to use our digital front door as a way where we could actually start to help people navigate through this complexity. But along the way, we're also providing them more and more transparency to all of this information that maybe was hidden behind the, I guess, the call center or behind that nurse triage that you call. Now you're giving all these options to be able to do things. And so, you know, this remote on-demand care, all of these options become, uh, again, very stressful if we're not providing them some clarity, which leads to empathy through automation. That doesn't sound possible. <laughs> <laughs> empathy through automation. That sounds tough to do. It is pretty tough to do. The author of this article kind of defines Digital Front Door, and it's interesting. Every time someone defines this, I always want to kind of highlight it. So mm -hmm. let's talk about how he defines Digital Front Door. He first of all says, it's an integrated digital strategy for engaging patients at every step along their healthcare journey. Yeah. That's a huge statement there. But again, he goes on to say, it has the capabilities and power to make the healthcare journey more empathetic than ever before, because it could provide a more meaningful and connected experience 
allowing patients now to connect with their care professionals easily throughout the entire care journey. I like all that. He goes on to talk about you know, uh, empowerment. So it empowers patients, acquaints them with a better sense of uh, autonomy to make easier and less stressful to enter uh, an insightful conversation about their care. Uh, with more transparency, he says, and communication, of course, the patient-provider relationship is enhanced. It's like pie in the sky. Like, this is all great because we all know at the front, and when we're at the front door, um, I'm going to be interesting metaphor here. When we're at the front door of building the front door, if we're at the front of it, right, trying to build it, it gets very complex because now what we're talking about is we're going to, we're going to try to use automation to remove administrative tasks, to make it easier to integrate with health records, to maybe even automate your call center, reduce calls, you know, trying to triage some calls off of individual people. If we're looking at all of that, ultimately, this front door, a well-built digital front door, will cut down on the time that a physician would otherwise spend on some of these administrative tasks and improve those interactions between the patient and the provider. Yeah, I mean, that's the, you know, efficiency, at least in my mind, or for me, does provide a certain level of empathy, right? I mean, you're, you're helping me be more efficient. Uh, it's not stressful, like you talked about, giving a better uh, enhanced relationship, as he mentions. So, But you always have to bring it back to understanding your patients better, because ultimately you have to you, you could use automation all you want, but you have to do it in a way that actually meets them where they're at. You know, encourage better communication, clarity, auto, all of these things that we're talking about. It's only done if the people that you're interfacing with or the, those that are interfacing with your digital tools are working together. So he outlines very quickly a couple of points about how you could prepare your organization for that enhanced empathetic experience. And he first starts with where we always start with many of this stuff is defining the metrics of what success looks like, and working backwards. Big surprise here, right? Know what you're building to. Yeah. Uh, A year from now, if we were successful, what happened? Also talks about building a circle of advocates and early adopters. This will allow a way to get some momentum early on. Absolutely. That's good change management right there. Because ultimately, you know, if you start to build your your d- digital front door in a very strong way, it could be really a good resource that could help on both what he calls macro and micro levels, allowing us to react to even unpredictable times if we keep those things in mind. That's kind of a more of a, a call to arms, so to speak, for all of us. What we'll do is after the break, Reed, why don't we come back and talk a little bit about how HCA Healthcare and a, and a company that they're partnering with has tried to effectively digitize that patient journey. And we'll do that after the break. Coming soon from Greystone, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media, live from HCIC, a new podcast that brings you front row access to the latest innovative strategies that are shaping tomorrow's healthcare industry. In this 12-part series, as recorded live at the Healthcare Internet Conference, we'll hear from industry experts such as Paul Matson of the Cleveland Clinic, Kathy Smith of Roper St. Francis Healthcare, David Feinberg from Mount Sinai Health System, Rose Glenn from Michigan Medicine, and many others. Subscribe now on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting platform. This podcast series is brought to you by Greystone.net, Bowstring, and Touchpoint Media. 
So how do we do this? That is the million dollar question, right? Because you can talk about stuff in theory or what would be nice or best practices and all that kind of stuff. But uh, we're going to dig in a little bit on an article that goes in. It's from Becker's uh, Hospital Review, and it talks a little bit about HCA and a partner of theirs, Podium, and what they've done to uh, try to digitize the patient journey. This is actually taken from a, I guess, a webinar that they recently hosted. This article actually highlights some of the five key takeaways that I think would be good for us to kind of walk through and and see, you know, how they resonate. Number one is to mirror your digital presence with your in-person patient experience. Reflecting the quality and great service you're delivering in person adds value to your digital front door. So when we think about things like reviews and website experiences, like web chats, FAQs, office hours, whatever, all of those things can lead to that sort of that personal friendliness that you have with your staff. And I'm thinking a lot about when I worked at the lifestyle system I was working at, we spent a lot of time around aided, which is like, how do you greet people and how do you help them to feel more comfortable and confident? And in my mind, I'm thinking if you could take the aided principle and reflect that through your digital properties, that becomes even much more meaningful for people because that expresses the quality of care you're providing. Yeah. And that, you know, I don't want to get sidetracked on that. We should do that. It's a whole nother episode. Ain't it in the digital world? That's that's an interesting one. The next thing they point out here is to um, you know, try to make all your digital interactions as human as possible. It might sound uh, logical and it is <laughs> logical, but it's not as easy as you think, right? You know, how do you create some level of kind of that, the, well, that authentic voice? Like, how does that come through? Because if you think about this, that's what you're going to face as you advance into the digital space, as you, as you onboard more technology and, and options and solutions and those types of things. Uh, how do you continue to be human in and amongst all of this? And so if you think about even simple things like responding to reviews, maybe you've gotten a chat bot from our friends over at Loyal, for example, or somewhere. How, how does that still, you know, how are you not copy and pasting the same response on all your Google reviews? You know, I really thought this was just naming your chat bot a, a, a human's name, right? Yeah, you know? Flow. Yeah. <laughs> Flow. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it goes even further, right? It's like not only being human, using human voice, not copying and pasting, but they even say taking negative feedback to become a real time opportunity to turn a, a potentially lost patient into a supporter, right? Use these interactions. They're so critical for what we're doing. The third point here is to inform your digital transformation initiatives. And it's important that they call this out reduce call volume with patient inquiry data. Patient inquiry data, I guess it's a fancy way of saying getting voice of customer. Mm-hmm. Whatever they're asking you can help you clearly identify exactly what not only them as patients, but what potential patients are searching for. And you could look at that through things like your website, through Google searches. You can look for that in reviews. I mean, all of these things can kind of be pulled together along with the things that they're asking your call centers and what they might be asking, you know, the primary care doctors. If you could get a good pulse on all of that information, then your patient inquiry data can really help fuel new expressions and experiences for your new digital front door. Utilize COVID-19 digital processes long-term. So this is an interesting one that they call out. Just like we said a minute ago, and we've said it 1,100 times at this point about people using telemedicine, 
don't lose the lessons that you've learned here over the last year. We've had to go into these things. And some of that is now we're texting or now we're using Teams or, or whatever we're doing, whether it's internal or external. We're talking about the patient journey here. Don't lose that opportunity to uh, think through well, what's worked well, what's not working. How can we you know, edit, change, iterate, move forward? This stuff needs to stay part of what you're doing going forward, right? Like once we're on the other side of COVID, assuming that's a thing, don't forget you know, what we learned over this time. This is a great time to learn what the new customer will be in the future. Because like we, you and I have mentioned oftentimes on the show, Reed, the toothpaste is out of the tube on this. We're never going to buy groceries the same way. There's going to be times where we're going to want to have them, you know, curbside pickup. We're going to want to do digital care with our, with our providers in the future too. Yeah. We're not going to go back. So the last thing, which I think is an interesting point here to call out, but they called it out as one of the five key takeaways is to be proactive and communicate aspects of the patient journey that can't be optimized. Some elements of the patient journey simply can't be optimized through digital. We have a lot of compliance and privacy concerns when we talk about data. It's not like we're Amazon. We always compare ourselves to Amazon, but you know, when we compare ourselves to the retail industry, there are certain digital adoptions that work for them that will never work for us. There's no way we're going to be like suggesting, oh, you've been seen by us to, you know, for your colonoscopy. Have you also thought about bariatric surgery? We're never going to be in like that kind of world. <laughs> also recommends sections. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We also recommend these procedures for you, so to speak. Yeah, that, that's not going to be where we're at, right? And so we have to be kind of upfront about what what are those things that we cannot do. And that sets the expectations both internally and also with your customers coming to your website. And Amazon's out of healthcare now. So <laughs> they, they threw in the towel. As a healthcare provider, not as a healthcare device company. They're still in there. Yeah, for sure. Well, we have a great interview coming up. But before we do, let's quickly touch on a third article that we found that talks about how COVID-19 specifically has accelerated digital transformation in healthcare. And in it, no big surprise, is digital front door is one of those platforms being impacted. Well, the first thing that they really kind of get into uh, is the telehealth adoption piece, right? And, And because of that, there's been a fair amount of challenges and opportunities, certainly, The least of which is not the fact that uh, there's a bunch of additional training that needs to happen, right? (laughs) For the providers, we talk about the empathy piece. You know, people are talking about that telehealth uh, is not, you know, it's not quite the bedside manner, if you will. It's not quite the same if you were as if you were there in person. So how do we navigate this? How do we get patients used to doing it? How do we get providers used to doing it? Things like that. Meanwhile, they say the rise of the digital front door platforms has improved the usability and the access piece of the equation, right? Which is great. Yeah. Well, if you think about usability and access, right? We solved that problem with digital front door strategies. Telehealth is also solving access in a different way. What would that look like if you combine those strategies together? And that's actually something we allude to in in the interview coming up is like, what would it look like with telemedicine being part of your digital front door strategy? Because spoiler alert, kind of already is. Um, (laughs) It is, right? That's how people are looking at it. They don't look at it as separately. The second big point they pull out here is that automation is driving streamlining of health IT services. Again, 
chatbots, virtual assistants. The whole point here is to redirect staff resources to other duties um, and while get, still getting patients the information they need. So those automation tools are finding a place in many different ways. IT ticketing, for example, I just recently was exposed to that too and within a health system. Human resources is starting to get automated in terms of chatbots kind of automating the screening process. That's interesting. Education, we talk, we've we've kind of alluded to that. All of this is like rote necessary functions that save time and support social distancing with a hands-off approach. But I think one important thing for us to kind of point out is when you're doing this, keep in mind though, there are some opportunities that you really don't want to automate. Like for example, I'm finding in the work I'm doing with organizations is as much as you want to try to automate the whole intake process to schedule a vaccine, the people have so many questions that the call center is becoming more important because each one of their questions are nuanced, right? They don't want to go through like a random chatbot. They're going right to talk to someone because ultimately they're looking how it fits to them in a personalized way. Okay. So the last thing they point out is COVID-19's impact on on data. As this thing evolves, uh, we're tracking and, and trying to keep up as best we can. And there's certainly implications of what we've done over this last year that are that are helpful in, in other parts. But analytics will become more critical, they say, especially as remote patient monitoring programs are deployed. Uh, to be able to keep tab on people that are recovering at home. You know, hospital at home has become a big thing. And so this idea that you know, we're able to monitor and assess from afar, I think is going to be more and more important. I have to term how, you know, all this streams of data from wearables, talking about the wearable side, will be received. Once you receive it, like how do you process that or get it in a way that you can consume it? And then what do you do with it? Like, how do you act on it? So back to kind of training of clinicians and some of those types of things. And so programmatically, what does that look like? The good thing is, is they talk about in here, at least that nearly two thirds of executives forecast that predictive analytics will save their systems 15% or more over the next five years. I mean, that's not insignificant, right? 15% of uh, a whole lot of money is a whole lot of money. Yeah. <laughs> or a whole lot of time is a whole lot of time. And so I do think that the predictive piece of it through the monitoring, the wearables, you know, being able to, and having to do a lot of this online is going to come into play in the future. I would agree with you on that for sure. And I think this is a great point where we could stop our conversation and maybe go to the interview that I recently had with Jordan Pisarsik of a doc ASAP. He's been on the show before, so this makes his second appearance on the show. And he and I had a chance to talk about how, when he's working with organizations, what he's seeing around all the other digital, quote unquote, touch points that he's helping organizations consider as they're mapping out their digital front door strategies for the future. It's a really interesting interview, and we'll listen to it right after this break. All right, welcome back to the Ask the Experts segment of the podcast. And today I am talking again with a good friend of the show and someone who's been on before, and that's Jordan Pisarsek. Jordan, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Chris. Yeah, I'm glad for us to talk a little bit about a very important topic. But before we jump into that, people listening in want to know a little bit more about you. Would you mind sharing a brief background on yourself? 
Sure. Uh, I'm Jordan Pasarsik. I am the Vice President of Growth and Customer Engagement at DocASAP, which is a patient access and engagement platform for healthcare providers and health plans. Uh, I've spent over a decade in the healthcare industry, including in the pharmaceutical world and now in the healthcare technology world serving uh, providers and payers. Um, so that's, that's me. You know, that, that kind of that crossover from the payers and the providers, that's an interesting part of the conversation we're going to have. In general today, I, you and I were talking since the last time you were on the show, we've been kind of talking about this concept. We've actually been talking about it for quite a while, actually, Jordan, right? Even prior to the pandemic, there's this concept that has arisen called the digital front door. It's kind of a nebulous concept because there's not a real clear definition of what it is. When I say digital front door, what, is, what does that actually mean? To a health system? Well, I think with digital services becoming so important and patients increasingly using digital channels to find and even have care now, especially with telemedicine taking off, to me, the digital front door is anything that the, the health system is putting out to the community in the digital sphere that ultimately encourages patients to get to the point of care. So, the, you know, I think the most common example of this would be a healthcare provider's website or a health plan's website for that matter, or an app that they may have. That would be the most kind of stereotypical digital front door. But in reality, it can be much more than that. And I think it's very important that health systems think carefully about all of the different ways that patients are engaging with them digitally. Uh, That could be through Google searches, that could be through ratings and review sites, that could be increasingly through health plan sites, which are now becoming an important channel through which patients are finding and connecting with providers to make sure, of course, that they're in network and that their services are going to be covered, especially now with uh, COVID kind of throwing a wrench in, in how patients are accessing care. Uh, it's so critical that, that patients are being engaged through these various digital channels as a way to connect with their providers. Everything that the patient experiences leading up to the point of care. And now with virtual care and telemedicine taking off, you can even really have a virtual front door, if you will, uh, as opposed to just the physical front door of coming into an office or a practice. So how do you think that health systems are, are ready to embrace that as part of their new digital customer journey, so to speak? Do you think we're ready for that? I, I think we're getting there. And, and, and I completely agree that, that patients have embraced digital services so quickly. And, and it's really accelerated this year because of COVID-19. Um, I was looking at, I think it was a Forrester analysis that indicated that um, the original prediction for telemedicine services being used this year was going to be about 200 million visits. And now they predicted that it was actually going to be over a billion uh, interactions between uh, health healthcare patients and their providers. So that's a five-fold increase in telemedicine services. I think that health systems and provider groups largely rushed in April and May uh, to get telemedicine services out to their patient communities as quickly as possible and often sort of put up a page to say, you know, come here, come for, you know, digital services and and virtual visits. But by and large, they hadn't thought about how is that going to be incorporated into our long-term strategy? How does it fit once we return to more of this hybrid model of thinking about how a patient may, in some cases, need to actually come in for a visit but in some cases, they can engage virtually. And, and, and in some cases, they may have a choice between those two care settings, if you will. And so I think where health systems are going to struggle a little bit or are now starting to think about 
what the next phase of this looks like. Now that we know that telemedicine is here to stay, virtual care is here to stay, but of course, in-person care is, is, is still going to be very relevant moving forward, is how do you create this hybrid structure where no matter where a patient is searching for care, again, be it you know, your own sort of first party digital front door, your website, your application that you have as a healthcare provider, or through third party channels like a Google search, like a ratings and review site or a social media platform, or again, a health plan uh, member app or website that you are able to engage with patients through all of those channels and really guide them through the process of determining whether they should come in for an in-person visit, have a virtual encounter, or some sort of hybrid between those two. Our digital front door is no longer a front door. It's it's just a digital door, right? It's a pathway into the health system at various different touch points of their overall journey. And particularly when you're in a hybrid world, now you could go to do a telehealth consult, and then that may lead you to a clinic, and then that may lead you to some remote patient monitoring or, you know, or some kind of mix thereof, right? That concept of a discrete appointment has really changed. It used to be that you made an appointment for a particular point in time, you went in person to that appointment, that was your only interaction with the healthcare provider and with the health system until the next time you had an appointment. And I think to your point about the concept of the front door changing, not only is there a physical and a virtual front door now, but you have about 10,000 paths that can help the patient get up to that those front doors. And, and patients are coming in through the windows and the back door and every, every other way through the house, right? It's completely changed because now you have patients that are texting their providers between uh, actual conversations with them and actual appointments or, or emailing or they're accessing their medical records through a patient portal. You know, th- there really isn't that singular physical front door anymore of the office that you're ultimately trying to get a patient to come into. How is a patient even connecting to these health systems? Sometimes now they're they're connecting with them through government channels, right? They're being tested for COVID and then they're being sent to those health systems through through that channel. So uh, again, there's there's so many there's a myriad uh, set of ways that patients are are connecting with these health health systems and and healthcare providers. I love that you're extending this metaphor. I love it, um, <laughs> but but it's so true, right? So let's talk about typically again. You know, when uh, organizations think about their digital front door, quote unquote, they're thinking about the properties that they own. But quite frankly, in many cases, the properties they own are probably the least digital referral to them. The referral from like Google used to be like a big driver to get people into making an an appointment online. But now Google has kind of opened up telehealth and online appointments right within Google My Business. And that's just one of the various different platforms that a health system no longer owns, right? If you look at some of the survey data out there around how patients are finding providers in the first place, uh, you see that it's over 50% are going to a health plan's website but also over 50% are going to Google, over 50% are going to social sites, over 50% are going to health plan uh, websites and apps. And if you notice, that doesn't add up to 100. And that's because patients are going to multiple of those channels in, in the pursuit of finding care and finding the best care for them. A lot of times that healthcare provider's website or health system's website may be the last point in the journey that the patient is going to. They've already Googled. They've already looked on social media. They've already looked on ratings and review sites, and they've already looked on health plan apps and, and websites to find an in-network provider. 
and, and, and figure out what they really need and then are coming to the health systems website. So that makes it even more critical that health systems, when they're thinking about their digital presence, are thinking much beyond their own website and the first party applications and, and websites that they control, because those are, of course, important, but it's not the only way that patients are finding care today. That in and of itself sounds very complex. And obviously, you know, Google is one from a digital market. We always think about that, uh, possibly even getting into other kind of third party platforms that are, are known for doing referral traffic, right? Like it could be, you know, listing sites, etc. But you mentioned like health plans. How do they start to take account of some of these all these various disparate channels out there to even target them? I think it's, it's critical to work with a partner, and it's, it's something that uh, at DocASAP we, we certainly focus on, uh, but it's so critical to work with partners that are thinking about that omni-channel digital approach. And of course, being able to power access and engagement capabilities, uh, search and scheduling and navigation to providers um, and engagement with patients pre and post appointment on your own websites. But it's also important to partner with a group that can connect you with all of those different channels through which a patient may be searching. It's not as simple as just sort of piecemeal going to each and every health plan and each and every social media site and each and every search engine out there to make sure your presence is clear across all of those sites and, and is enabling patients to take action and actually find your providers and get an appointment with your providers, which of course is the end goal of all of your digital efforts. The, the good thing is that health plans are really doubling down now on their digital capabilities. And so beca you know, because health plans are seeing that there's more activity going to their websites, going to their apps, they're really investing very heavily in making sure that they can close the loop for patients and enable patients to actually find a provider that's relevant for them and then get an appointment. So they are taking advantage of being you know, one of those points in the journey, one of those third-party channels and they're trying to drive patients to their provider partners, ultimately. And now with telemedicine being so critical, they can even facilitate direct telemedicine visits in many cases. So you're seeing a lot of partnerships, for example, Aetna with Teladoc, uh, where you see that direct partnership. But again, now thinking about telemedicine not as a side service that's being offered, but really an integrated part of the healthcare journey and the way that healthcare is delivered now. And it's just going to be the case moving forward. It's just going to be one other care setting, just like the office visit. I think it's even more important that health systems think about what does their presence look like across these myriad channels where their providers are presented and where their patients are looking, but then also are patients on those channels actually able to then find the right provider for them, but also in the right care setting to know that okay, for my particular needs, I'm going to need to come in. Or for my particular needs, I can actually have a virtual consultation first. And that's so important. Cascading the right data about your doctors, it, it's simply like standardizing your data around your provider database, et cetera, and making sure these third-party sites have the, the right information, kind of standardizing around it. But now visually, when I'm thinking about what you're describing is, it's almost like you have to not only standardize the data, but you have to standardize the way they're actually able to engage with care. Five years ago, just health systems getting their provider data just syndicated across these different channels was a huge challenge and not very well done. Um, and you've seen you know, an increase in, in provider groups being able to do that now and have that syndication across those channels. 
The next step was to make it actionable and to say, okay, I'm not just going to give you a phone number to call and let you pick. And you have to, you don't know whether this orthopedic surgeon does what you need versus this other orthopedic surgeon, which may not do the thing that you need. If if you have a knee issue, you want to see the knee doctor, right? So the next step was how do you actually allow a patient to understand that this provider can treat this specific condition and then can actually take action and book an appointment. And now with telemedicine being so widespread, now it's, okay, I know that it's this specific doctor that I need. I found them through whichever channel I found them through. It's this specific doctor that is relevant for my needs. I can not only then book that appointment, but I may actually even be able to have the appointment right then or in 15 minutes with that provider if my appointment type is eligible for a virtual, a virtual consult. In some cases, that's, that's where it ends and then you come in for your visit. In other cases, you may even be able to jump right into that virtual visit. And that's, I would say, uh, digital 3.0, perhaps. I, I remember, you know, a couple of years ago when you and I were working on a project, we were doing some analysis of like a patient's behavior and their expectation at times for like primary care appointments would to get the same day, next day appointments. Now what you're saying is real time, just in time appointments, right? Being able to just engage with a doctor when you get to a website. Do you think consumer expectations are have have evolved that fast? I, I certainly think so. I certainly think so. I mean, the, the results that, that we've seen in a lot of surveys that we look at is that, first of all, the vast majority of, pati- of, of people in the United States and, and probably around the world as well have had a virtual visit this year because this, this has now gone on long enough where you know most of us have had to see the doctor at some point. And so many have, have had a virtual visit. And 95% of those that have had a virtual visit say that they would want to do one again. And a lot of those services ha- were offered on a sort of instantaneous basis. That, that may have been a very specific sort of COVID-related process that a lot of these groups put in place is, hey, we want to be able to talk to these, these folks instantly. But I think it also set the expectation, this really needs to be a seamless process moving forward. And so now it's not just enough that healthcare provider organizations are engaging with not only their, their first-party channels, but third-party channels as well, and providing actionable things like finding the right provider and then booking an appointment with that right provider. But it's now about saying, do you have a virtual visit as a potential care setting for this patient for this visit type? And can you launch that patient into that experience directly? So now if they're coming in through their health plans or they're coming in through Google, they know that, okay, I'm seeing Dr. Smith for my knee issue. Dr. Smith can treat my knee issue. And I can actually see Dr. Smith in eight minutes through a virtual consult to have my first visit with Dr. Smith. And then I can go in perhaps subsequently for my next visit uh, to actually have it looked at in person. Knowing that the cons- patients, the consumer has rapidly evolved to these sort of, now they could get anything online, right? They could get their groceries delivered. They could get food delivered. Getting care, that expectation has already been, is, is being set as we speak. The future state of, of where we're going to be in this hybrid world is going to be very tricky because there are now, when we talk about this digital front door metaphor, it's no longer your front door. It's no longer your door. It's no longer your windows. It could be anybody's windows and doors and crawlways into your house. You have to optimize for the multitude of ways that people can get to you. When we think about 
you know, our own role in this of trying to streamline uh, access to care and, and create a frictionless access experience, we often think of it uh, in terms of creating something like an Amazon type experience where it's just, it's so seamless for a consumer to go on, find what they need, see what their options are, but then be able to transact with a single click in some cases, or even with their voice in the case of Alexa buying something, right? So, and, and I think now that folks have been home, they've been using more direct-to-consumer products in general than ever before. Uh, folks who had never done something like an Instacart or delivery of groceries are now doing that because it's easier and it's safer. Um, I, I think that expectation has bled into uh, e- even in healthcare now. And, and again, because of you know the, the fact that most people in the country and a lot of people around the world have used telemedicine services and now expect that type of connection with their provider. And so you absolutely you know, need to think about how do you create that Amazon-like seamless experience for your patients, regardless of the pathway that they are using to get to your front door or side door or window, <laughs> or it's a, it's a virtual door or whatever it is, right? Whatever that entry point is, you need to make sure the entry point is seamless and Amazon-like and consumer-friendly, but also that you clear all the paths, the, the, the thousands of paths that may exist for a patient to ultimately get up to the house in the first place. You know, we, we talked about with telehealth, digital marketers and the operations IT teams now we need to work together because they need to ensure that the telehealth consult is uh, available through their digital channels. But now you're talking to people that may be involved in government, like you said, government relations, or maybe even managed care to ensure that your digital touch points are getting federated to the right places in the right way. Wow, that's just, just blows my mind a little bit, Jordan. It's a new world. I think um, I think this was coming for some time, but I certainly think COVID nineteen, with you know more people having to engage with healthcare digitally, uh, has really accelerated. You know what might have been in twenty twenty three or twenty twenty five is already here because people are now developing that expectation. It's it's so critical that health systems react to that appropriately. And ultimately, look for services and, and, and partners that can really help them solve those things very holistically. Well, Jordan, this is a great conversation. It's probably was a great thought starter for many people listening in. And clearly, you know, Doc ASAP, the company that you work with, you're one of those providers. So can you share a little bit about, um, you know, how people can maybe reach out to you and learn a little bit more about how you work with organizations in this way? Please visit us at docasap.com uh, or on LinkedIn at, at docasap or on Twitter at docasap uh, or on Twitter, uh, Jay Pasarsik. It's my first initial and last name, which is a little hard to spell, but you can probably find it in the in the show notes or look me up on LinkedIn, Jordan Pasarsik. Yeah, well, we'll link to, to, to all of that in our show notes for sure. So people don't have to worry about spelling your last name. Jordan, <laughs> great to catch up with you again. It's good that people start to think about this because this is a very important future state world that we're going to be living in. We have to do this. Absolutely. And, and I think it's a really exciting time. As, as challenging a transition as it may be, I think it's also a really exciting time for health systems to truly enter the, the, you know, the 21st century and think about all these different uh, pathways for their, for their patients and their consumers, ultimately. Well, thanks again for your time today, my friend. Thanks for having me, Chris.
Special thanks to Jordan for coming on the show. Friend of the show, certainly. Doc ASAP has been a supporter over the years, certainly. And Jordan's been on a time or two and certainly appreciate his insights. Again, quick plug for the TPS report over at touchpoint.health. Sign up for that and you'll get a nifty little email every Monday morning with just a few links to some stories that uh, you'll probably find interesting. So go check that out and sign up for that. Rate, review, subscribe wherever you happen to be listening. It certainly helps us, helps us tremendously make sure that other folks can find the show. Speaking of helping other folks find the show, you can simply tell them about it. That is obviously a great way to help us out as well. Check out our friends over at Binary Fountain. They've got some great on-demand webinars worth uh, diving into. Let's pivot to some recommendations before we call it a day. Reed, I'm going to recommend a podcast that I just started listening to literally like two days ago. We've only released a couple of episodes so far. It's called The Apology Line. Have you heard about this? No. uh -uh. Basically what it is, this person in New York many years ago He created this art project that evolved to being a phone line where people can call and apologize randomly about things they've done in their lives. They stay anonymous. The whole point was he wasn't going to use this as anything but performance art. But then he started to broadcast actually to, you know, just on on the air, basically on radio about all these apologies. And they're just people making honest confessions about things that they've done. Well, inevitably, people confessing to the fact that they committed murder. He started to to wonder if what he created was actually something he should have created. And how should he start to, you know, connect this with the police? And anyway, it's told in a serial format. It's like kind of a series. It's by a podcast uh, group that we recommended before, the people that did Dr. Death. Oh, yeah. Wondering. Yeah. And uh, get this, the person doing the podcast happens to be his wife. So kind of fascinating. So it's called The Apology Line. Definitely worth worth checking out if you like a little bit of, uh, you know, real life human intrigue and some murder mystery stuff. Cool. Like it. I'm going to recommend something that is useless and (laughs) frivolous and uh, whatnot. It's an app. uh, And I know it's on iOS. I apologize. I'm not sure if it's available on Android or not. I would assume it probably is. But it's called Rookies, R-O-O-K-I-E-S, Rookies. And what it allows you to do is take any picture and pull it in and actually make a baseball card out of the out of the picture. Like you had your buddy's headshot or it was like a funny something, like you could pull it in and like, you know, actually make a baseball card. You can actually order them. Now, obviously, if you're coaching a little league team, this could be really cool and interesting and you could have like real baseball cards, you know, for the kids. But also, if your buddy's just a big Atlanta Braves fan and you have some weird picture of him doing something hilarious, you could obviously upload that. Anyway, it's kind of a neat little app. It's a good idea. So you can uh, make your own baseball cards. Rookie. Rookies. Somehow I'm thinking that a baseball card with Reed Smith's face on it is in the near future here. Yeah, it should be. Maybe you can get those uh, on the <laughs> Well, cool. That's uh, that's good stuff. Good episode. Really interesting topic that we will continue to expand upon and talk more about. I really do want to loop back to the idea of aid it in the digital sense. I think that's an interesting concept. But thanks, everybody, for, for tuning in. Thanks for listening. Thanks for telling a friend. Thanks for being a friend of the show. 
Uh, again, touchpoint.health is the website. And for Chris Boyer, I'm Reed Smith, and we'll see you next week. This has been a Touchpoint Media production. To learn more about this show and others like it, please visit us online at touchpoint.health.